Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Jesus talking about. 
Well, if you've been with us, uh, we're continuing today our series called Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, and today we are concluding the, the, this section of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at the Beatitudes over the last nine weeks, and today we'll be looking at the, the final two Beatitudes. Uh, if you remember, the Beatitudes, they reflect the character of Christ's kingdom. Uh, they reflect the nature of his kingdom. And so if that's the case, what kind of character is persecution for those who are part of God's kingdom. How might a different perspective and experience help shape our understanding of these really quite strange words that we're hearing from Jesus today? Let's consider how we can rightly understand why to be persecuted is actually a blessed life, a happy life. Let's consider how that works by considering first the reality of persecution Second, the blessedness of persecution. And then finally, the strength to endure persecution. Okay? So first, the reality of persecution. I first want to just give us a bit of a picture uh, when it comes to uh, persecution. Because persecution really does exist on a bit of a spectrum. Uh, and Christians who are hearing these words from Jesus really ought to rightly put themselves uh, on that spectrum somewhere. And the reason why I want to start here is so that we avoid either on the one hand exaggerating the ways that Christians experience persecution. Uh, but also on the other hand, I also want us to be careful to not reject the notion that persecution is genuinely taking place right now. It's also important to note uh, that religious persecution is really not unique to Christians. Many around the world of various religious faith, faith experience similar kinds of persecutions than, uh, that Christians do. But for those who are inclined today, uh, who think little of persecution of Christians taking place in the world right now, consider just what's happened, even in the last year alone. In the past year, about 340 million Christians are currently, right now, living in places where they are experiencing extreme high levels of persecution and discrimination, the vast majority of them being in some of the topmost top persecuted countries in the world. Approximately uh, 4,700 Christians this past year uh, were killed for no other reason except for their faith. Now, about 4,500 churches around the world, Christian buildings, were attacked solely because they are, of course, Christian institutions. Uh, about 4,400 believers this year were detained without any form of, of trial simply because of their faith. Uh, not too long ago, uh, it had been pretty widely reported that about one in eight Christians in the world right now live under uh, persecution that, uh, that this, this Christianity, that Christianity often is uh, still remains one of the persecuted, most persecuted religions in the world. Uh, the BBC not too long ago had done a, a pretty big study looking at Christian persecution and found that in some places the persecution was actually at genocide levels. And so while persecution is not unique to Christians, there is significant persecution that's taking place around the world, even right now. Now, of course, this is the more severe form of persecutions around the world. Uh, the kind that keeps one's life constantly on the line. And many Christians around the world face that. However, we also know, you know, I said this is it's a bit of a spectrum. We also know that there are other forms of persecution that don't rise to that kind of violence or marginalization. There are milder forms that take place that maybe some here find themselves occasionally uh, uh, experiencing. 
Uh, things like ridicule and mockery, rejection or exclusion or just general disdain or disgust for, for Christians and their beliefs. This kind of persecution absolutely exists. And for what it's worth, I think this kind of persecution is far more present than some assume. You know, I know that there are some who would hear Christians talking about persecution and their immediate retort would be that Christians who think that they're persecuted, especially in the United States, should just shut up because there's really no persecution. And I would say, well, I think this kind of persecution actually happens more than some are willing to admit. But I would also say to others, I think this kind of persecution is far less present than some might assume. Some, unfortunately, right now, even as we speak, see a culture that is less and less inclined toward Christianity as Christians are in some way being persecuted. And that's just not true. Those things are not the same thing. Just because Christianity and its values are not dominant anymore, as they maybe once were, doesn't mean that everything is persecution. It just means that Christians in the West, and in the United States in particular, Christians are now feeling what every other religion has always felt as a minority group, living in the United States who didn't hold all the power and all the influence, and that does not equate to persecution. That just means cultural shifts are beginning to take place. So, on the one hand, it probably takes place far more than someone would admit, and it probably takes place a lot less than others want to admit. But if that's true, how do we know if persecution is taking place, and more specifically, how do we know that the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5, is taking place. You know, whether the, the persecution is severe, like the things that we've talked about already with uh, Christians around the world and the faith that they experience, whether, whether it's that or it's a tamer version that's still hurtful and yet challenging, like ridicule and rejection, how do we know whether or not this is the kind of persecution Jesus was talking about? Well, I think the answer is actually in Jesus' words. When he says, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness and because of me. When persecution is rooted in righteousness and in the person of Jesus, that's when we know it's the kind of persecution Jesus is talking about. So let's consider what it means then to experience blessedness in persecution. Uh, consider where Jesus has placed this, uh, this beatitude it really doesn't seem to fit with the rest of them. If you've been with us in the series, uh, the other Beatitudes, they seem to be more about one's character. They seem more action-oriented, meaning uh, if you are, you know, think about the ones we've seen. If you're poor in spirit, or if you mourn, or if you are meek, uh, etc., then you are blessed. You will experience the happy life, and we've, we've looked at all of those. They are more about who you are, what you do, what you value. None of them are really about what others do to you. So we need to consider why Jesus makes this last one, this persecution, this revile one, uh, where, why he puts it last in this overall uh, picture. Because it's important for us to realize his placement of this actually gives a lot of insight into what he's speaking about, why it's blessed. See, Jesus puts this beatitude at the end because... Persecution, in and of itself, is not a virtue. Rather, it's the basis of the persecution that makes one blessed. He says that the persecution is blessed when, when, when it comes because of, again, righteousness and of me. 
Now, we've said this uh, over and over again throughout the entire series, but Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is ultimately about his kingdom. It's about the values and the nature of his kingdom, the characteristics of those who will inhabit his kingdom. So this persecution that comes from others, that is because of him, is persecution, hear me, that is rooted in one who lives like they are part of the kingdom of God. That's the kind of persecution Jesus is talking about. So let me for a moment just quickly recap for you all that Jesus has said about the expectations of his kingdom. The characteristics that we've considered over the last eight weeks or so. Jesus, over this time, has told us, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit or those who recognize they have nothing to offer God. He says that blessed are those who mourn, that they, they mourn the sin that has alienated them from God. He's, we are told that those uh, that were to be righteous, blessed are those who are righteous, those who are just in the way that they live in this world. Blessed are those who are merciful, those who are able to extend a supernatural forgiveness. Blessed are those who are uh, uh, pure in heart and have received a new heart from him. Blessed are the peacemakers we looked at last week, those who are seeking the wholeness, the shalom of the world. And then he says, for those things, for my sake, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted because of your poverty of spirit, your mourning of sin, your meekness, your righteousness, your justice, your mercy, your pure heart, your shalom seeking. If you are doing these things, you will experience persecution because the world will not accept it. But you will be blessed nonetheless, for you will have proven yourself to be part of my kingdom. This is what makes persecution blessed. This kind of persecution is coming because one has proven themselves to be part of the kingdom of God. And I emphasize this uh, because there are many all over the world right now as we speak who face death and violence because of their commitments to showing this kingdom to their communities. There are some in our own nation, and some of you maybe even in this room who experience ridicule and exclusion because you genuinely desire to exhibit this kind of character. I mean, this is what Jesus promises will happen. But these are not, of course, the only reasons why people are persecuted today. You know, while I could spend a, a lot of time on why this might occur around the world, why certain Christians around the world might experience uh, persecution. I want to take a moment because I do think we need to confront many uh, of the reasons in our own context. So there are Christians who are to varying degrees persecuted, but I wonder if they're persecuted because of Jesus's words, because of the Beatitudes that Jesus has presented. Because frankly, too often, I think Christians believe themselves persecuted for Jesus' sake, when in reality their persecution has nothing to do with their commitments to Christ's kingdom, or his character, or the nature of his kingdom. Instead, there are many who are persecuted, not because of Christ or righteousness, but they're persecuted because they're selfish, or obnoxious, or extremist, or mean, or unloving, or arrogant, or self-serving, or power-hungry, or hypocritical, while attaching some theological convictions to their behavior. 
Or they assume that just because they are a Christian, then their persecution is persecution for the sake of righteousness. And that's not how any of this works. And a really good indicator to know whether or not one is actually experiencing persecution for Christ's sake, or if it's their own obnoxiousness that is causing this persecution, the key indicator is to consider the consequence of the persecution. Let me explain to you what I mean. So if the persecution is the result of Christ's kingdom being evident and seen, then not only should there be persecution that comes, but there should also be those who are attracted to Christ even in the midst of the persecution. Meaning, you should be able to look at a Christian or a Christian community reflecting Christ's kingdom, and people ought to be left in awe at its beauty. There should be people that are drawn to the humility and the mercy of Christians and Christian communities. People drawn to the righteousness and the justice that advocates for the good of the most vulnerable of a society. People ought to be drawn to how Christians are laying down power and picking up forgiveness, committing themselves to peacemaking. There ought to be those who think, wow, even though that group of Christians is being persecuted, even though that individual is being persecuted because they're a Christian, I still nonetheless want to be part of that community. When Christian communities are creating countercultures that are appealing as a result of rightly reflecting Christ's kingdom, you know you're experiencing persecution for Christ's sake. Christian communities throughout church history and all over the world today are experiencing this exact kind of reality. You know, historically, the early church, it was a persecuted church. But at the same time that it was being persecuted, it was also growing. And we saw the way that it was growing. In Acts 2, we see this, that uh, daily numbers were being added to them daily as they gathered for worship together. That the Christian community had become so countercultural that others were being drawn to it, even as the church was persecuted. The early church became so, such a dominant religion in the Roman Empire that uh, long before uh, Constantine, the emperor that is often credited as making Rome a Christian nation, it had become this dominant uh, force in the Roman Empire just through the grassroots religion that it was. People being drawn. It was a different kind of kingdom being presented to the pagan kingdoms of the Romans. So much so that there are even uh, some who question whether or not Constantine, this great emperor that was supposed to have made Rome a, a Christian nation, questioned whether or not he was even a Christian or if he was just a shrewd politician who understood that the tide had turned in the Roman Empire. And so now, as a politician, it boded well for him to align himself with Christians because it was now the consensus of the empire. And this was the way the early church grew and throughout the world. Even now, there are underground churches in closed countries that continue to grow because of how the counterculture that is being established that challenges the norms of the society around it. But those, in many ways, these groups, they are showing this beauty, this humility, this love, this compassion of Jesus. And so even in the midst of that persecution, people are being drawn. And I, and I wonder, in our own context, if the church is creating a counterculture 
that might result at times in persecution, but it's also so beautiful that people who are not Christians want to be drawn in. And honestly, by and large, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that the church is often enough presenting such a beautiful counterculture that many are being drawn to that beauty of Christ's kingdom embodied in that community. I mean, the question for me really comes down to this. Is the church in the United States in particular, in particular our context, is the church today less interested in creating a counterculture and more interested in fighting culture wars as a means of maintaining its long-held dominance? You can probably tell by the question the way I phrased it. That's probably what I think is happening. <laughs> I think we are losing the culture, right? And by losing the culture, I just mean the Christian ideals are no longer the norm. And so because of that, there seems to be this instinct to double down, fight culture wars, to in some way regain that cultural dominance instead of creating the kind of counterculture Christ's kingdom embodied amongst his people that would allow persecution, yes, but at the same time also draw people in. Have we forgotten what it means, Christian, to be the minority, to be the marginalized and rejected? That is the testimony of much of the global church, to be the minority, to be the, uh, the marginalized, to be the rejected. I mean, have we forgotten that Christ is most evidently seen not at the, the centers of power, but at the periphery with the vulnerable and the outsiders? Have we forgotten that Christ's kingdom goes forth not through force or coercion, but through patience and compassion and love and grace and mercy? You know, something that, that struck me this week as I was uh, considering Jesus' words, you know, Jesus kind of posits his statement in, uh, in the positive, meaning... Um, he, he says that blessed are those who do this. But what struck me is if you were to read Jesus' statement in the negative, and what I mean by that is this, okay? So Jesus says in the positive, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. But think about how that reads in the negative. Unblessed, unhappy, are those who are not persecuted because of unrighteousness. Meaning, here's what struck me about this idea, meaning... There is a way to hold power and influence so that one does not experience persecution. And to do so by achieving that position through unrighteousness and unjust ways. And Jesus is saying, unhappy, unblessed are those who do so. There's something fundamentally opposed to Christ's kingdom when persecution does not exist because that persecution uh, is held at bay because of one's power to do so. And how often have Christians, over the course of church history and even today, how often have we sought dominance and influence and control and in doing so have rejected every characteristic of Christ's kingdom? I said that if, you know, if Christians uh, were to create this countercultural reality. That, of course, this would mean uh, following Jesus' commands. It would mean living out the Beatitudes. And if Christians are living and, and are reflecting these, these, uh, these values, then persecution will come. But also, please 
don't forget that people will be drawn in. And until Christians lay down the power struggle, lay down this need to uh, hold dominance, this kind of thing is not going to take place in the ways that honor Christ. And I wonder, can we as a church say that we are creating that beautiful counterculture? Or are we most known for fighting in the culture wars? And my friends, if, if you're a Christian, just know that you are called to be persecuted for your commitments to Christ. By, I implore you to consider the reasons why you end up persecuted. Is it because of your commitments to Christ or because you've couched your culture war antics in Christian language? Now, I also want to say that there are some who are also on the opposite end of the spectrum uh, completely allergic to persecution. You know, you will do anything necessary, including dishonoring Christ and his word for the sake of being accepted. You will twist yourself into knots to not stand out or be different from the norm of the culture. Now, as one uh, pastor put it, if you are always persecuted, you're probably an obnoxious person. <laughs> but if you're never persecuted, you're probably a coward. Some of us here are too welcoming of persecution. And as a result, you're likely dishonoring Christ. Some of us here are too allergic to persecution. And as a result, you're likely dishonoring Christ. Either way, what we need is a recalibration that changes our mindset back to Christ's kingdom and his desire for us to announce the presence of his kingdom. And as we do, to welcome people in. And that recalibration comes by considering, finally, the strength that is needed to endure persecution. Uh, there's a very well-known passage in Isaiah 53 that speaks of the Messiah who is to come. The prophet Isaiah paints this picture of this coming Messiah. And let me read for you just some snippets of the description that he gives of the coming Messiah. The prophet says this. He says that the Messiah, he would have no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. For he was despised and rejected, a, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. But he goes on to say, but he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Maybe some of these words are familiar to you, to you. But these words, these are the words that describe the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus was persecuted. Injustice befell him. On the cross, he experienced a punishment that was reserved for criminals, the lowest of the low. I mean, crucifixion was done purposefully in public in order that those who hung on the cross did not receive the, the dignity of a private death, but rather the shame of a public one. In Matthew 27, uh, Matthew is describing the moments just before Jesus' crucifixion. and In particular, he's describing the soldiers that knelt uh, in front of him. And as they did, they mocked 
Jesus saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And it says that they spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, it says, they took off the robe and put, uh, and put his clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. Why? Why did they do such things? Why did Christ, probably even more importantly, allow such mockery? Why did Jesus allow himself to be persecuted in this way, unjustly persecuted? Why did Jesus not call down legions of angels to stop this injustice from taking place against him? You know, I've said this before, but as I think about the scene of Jesus' crucifixion, there was, there was one who was, uh, there was someone once who was describing uh, in their own imagination Jesus' crucifixion. And in particular, what struck them about their pic this picture of Jesus uh, on the cross was the earthquake that took place. If you remember, Scripture describes this earthquake that took place. And, and though what I'm about to say is not in the Bible, uh, again, this was in someone's imagination, something that they imagined about that earthquake was that the earthquake was actually the fury of creation against humanity for having killed its creator. And that the only reason the earth wasn't swallowed up by creation at that time was that the Father needed to silence the earth from swallowing us whole. Again, that's not in the Bible, so don't send me emails. But the bottom line is, why would God not completely obliterate us for having uh, done such a wicked act by crucifying Jesus. And the reason is, is that his love for us allowed such an indignity. That persecution upon Jesus was allowed because this was why Jesus came. He allowed it to befall him. He allowed it to come upon him because Jesus was persecuted so that you and I might be liberated. Jesus was crushed so that you and I might be lifted up. He was bruised so that we might be healed. He was punished so that we might go free. He was despised so that you and I would know that we are loved. This is the gospel message. This is the work of the cross. And so the strength to endure persecution is not going to be some uh, magical formula or some self-determination that we muscle through suffering that might come. Instead, the strength to endure persecution is remembering why we are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done. He was excluded from society, persecuted, so that we might be brought into his kingdom. So that we could hear him say that the persecution that is on me is on me because I love you and I lay down my life for you. So, Christian, you are here. Number one, I would encourage us all to consider persecution. If you are never persecuted, ask yourself why. If you're always persecuted, ask yourself why. But more importantly, are we creating a counterculture that is so beautiful that though it might bring persecution, it is also drawing people to the beauty of God's kingdom who, that's ruled by a king who is willing to lay down his life for the good of those that he loves. Now friends, when we can see Jesus 
doing that for us, how much power and strength should that ought to then give us to live a life in response to it? No matter what might come, he is worthy of whatever comes. And I pray that the Holy Spirit creates that deep conviction within us that we might proclaim the beauty of Christ's kingdom even now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality that um, you're creating for yourself. Uh, you're drawing together people. People who, are not one, who were once not a people have now become a people because of what Jesus has done. That you have welcomed those who trust in Jesus into your kingdom. And Lord, as a result, we trust that your word is true. We trust that the words of Jesus are true. That as we live in response to uh, the character and nature of your kingdom, the persecution will come. But Lord, I pray that first and foremost, that as that persecution comes, we would be living in such a way that it draws people closer to yourself. Lord, we ask that you would do it. Lord, we desire for more people to come in a, uh, into contact with the beauty of this kingdom. So God, if our persecution, if Christians' persecution, both here and around the world, if, if that persecution is part of what draws other people to yourself, God, make it so. But God, we also pray for also pray for endurance and strength in the midst of it. And in particular, I think about brothers and sisters around the world who even as we speak are suffering under the weight of grave injustices because of their faith. God, we think about underground churches that don't have the freedom that we are afforded even now, and yet they still faithfully gather together. God, I pray, give them strength. Spirit of God, would you work in the midst of that persecution, so that they might even see what the early church saw, such a groundswell of those that are coming to faith that the persecuting authorities would have no choice but to take notice. God, would you do it? Bring revival to these places. God, we also pray for your church here in our context. Lord, we do thank you for the freedoms that we have, but God, may those freedoms never be confused with our entitlements toward power or influence. God, crush that kind of idolatry in us. And instead, Lord, would you make clear to us the ways that we have not been reflecting Jesus' kingdom in the words that he's given us and empower us to reflect the nature of his kingdom instead. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem Podcast. For more information on our church, and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.